Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. everyone, this is Jennifer Braceras, Senior Fellow with Independent Women's Forum and Director of IWF's new Center for Law and Liberty. Today, we're talking about property rights, and more specifically, about a recent Supreme Court case that represents a major victory for American property owners. The case is Nick versus Township of Scott, and it was brought by a woman named Rose Nick. One of Ms. Nick's attorney, Christina Martin, of the Pacific Legal Foundation is here with us today to talk about the important Supreme Court victory. Welcome to the She Thinks podcast, Christina. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on your important win. Yeah, we were very excited. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, for people who don't know the background, um, tell us who Rose Nick is and, and why she brought this case. Well, Rose owns a farm in rural Pennsylvania, and the local township there passed a really strange ordinance that essentially opened up her private property to allow um, strangers onto her property seven days a week. Uh, the reason was was that the town had sent some local officials to snoop around on her property. They found a few loose, unmarked stones, but they thought they might be gravestones, so they just unilaterally decided there was at least one grave site. And under a local ordinance that had just been passed, they declared the area cemetery and threatened Rose with $600 per day fines if she didn't treat it like a cemetery and open it up to the public and maintain the area as if it's a cemetery. Wow. So did they, yeah, did now, they think that it had some um, historic significance, or what, 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 made them, what made them initially think that there was something there that the public would want to see? Well, there's a gentleman in town that apparently thinks there's an ancestor from some long time ago who might be buried on her land. And so he, I, you know, he's been saying this for some time. Whether he asked them to go or not, I don't know. But the bottom line is, is, uh, is it's pretty well known in the community that he thinks someone is buried there, I suppose, because uh, we read it in the paper. And the local officials went to a property, souped around, and they declared it a cemetery. She doesn't believe there's a cemetery on her land. But and, even I'm if sorry, there were, you, may, you may have said this before, but how big a piece of property is this? 90 acres, and it's a working farm. So there's obvious concerns about liability of people walking around on a functioning farm and uh and she lives on this farm and uh yeah so and she you know she's an elderly lady she doesn't want strangers wandering around whenever they want to so obviously she had concerns and fortunately the constitution requires that when government takes uh your property without paying you for it as they did here they imposed something called an easement that means people can go on your land um in this case it would mean that people could go on our land without her permission uh, and, there, and normally you would have to pay for an easement, but the government did not do that, and that violates the Constitution. So she filed a claim uh, originally in state court, but the 
the local government dropped the claims and then the local court wanted her to wait around until they filed a civil uh, enforcement action against her. So she went to federal court to enforce her rights because she wanted to know, am I going to be fined $600 per day? What are my rights? Am I going to lose my property? So she went to federal court, but the federal court threw her out because of a 34-year-old decision that we just recently got uh, overturned. And that is a case called Williamson County Regional Planning Commission versus Hamilton Bank of Johnson City. And in that case, the U.S. Supreme Court closed the federal courthouse doors to these claims. And it was based on a long presumption. So the court said in that decision 34 years ago that really you could bring a takings claim in federal court, but before you could do so, you would have to go to state court and file your claim there. And if you lost, then you could go to federal court. The problem is, is that uh, the law doesn't allow you to have a second bite at the apple. And they decided that years later, the Supreme Court said, well, our presumption was wrong. Once you lose in state court, you can't come to federal court. So in effect, they closed the federal courthouse doors to these claims and they turned the takings clause, that property rights protection that government has to pay you when it takes your stuff into a lesser protection than our other federal constitutional rights that allow you to go straight to federal court to enforce. So just just for our audience members who are not lawyers, if we could just break this down to the simplest terms, what was the thinking of the court in the in the earlier case where they said you have to go to state court first? What was what was sort of the the rationale for why they thought at the time that that made sense? Well, honestly, it was not even properly briefed. The, the and it was the question was really another question before the court, and they decided that um, a property rights claim in that case, a takings claim, was not yet ripe because they needed to apply for uh, another permit before the court would know how these local regulations acted on the property. And so they said that it's not ripe yet, but then they went on to say, in any way, you would have to do you'd have to file in state court and lose before you could come to federal court. And the the reason that came up, interestingly enough, was because the the attorney for the United States who filed something called an amicus brief, it's a friend of the court brief. So it wasn't a party, um, but he, they were filing a friend of the court brief. They came up with this theory, and uh, neither of the parties were arguing this, but the U.S. government argued it, and it ended up in the Supreme Court's decision. And uh, this time around, when we took Rosenick to the U.S. Supreme Court, um, the federal government did a 180. And this time they admitted that actually, you know, you should be able to go to federal court because that's what Congress intended. And so we were really pleased that the Solicitor General for the United States supported Rose. Um, But, yeah, you asked what what their reasoning was. There wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot. And what she was seeking, essentially, was not to reverse the decision of the government to let people on her property. She was simply asking to be compensated for that, um, for the, the public right-of-way, so to speak. Well, I think originally she did want to stop uh, that, but really she'd be happy either way. She just wants – she doesn't want to be subjected to fines for, you know, protecting her property rights. Um, and that's really what the heart of the, the concern is for Rose. And what's going to happen now, because uh, of this U.S. Supreme Court decision, she has now just finally won the right 
to bring her claim in federal court. So this is all going. So for property owners across the country, for anyone who has that situation where government takes their stuff, and it's, this is something that's only been an issue when lo- local government takes your property. You know, you would be thrown out of federal court, and you'd have to go to state court. But now you're going to be able to go to federal court. Uh, right. But so the, the but, Supreme Court case that that you won wasn't uh, a determination in your client's favor um, on the merits. It just gave her the right now to pursue her claim in federal court and figure out what her rights are and 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 exactly. get compensation if the government has in fact taken her property. Yeah, and so people everywhere are going to benefit from her decision, but her fight's actually not over. And will you continue to represent her in the lower courts? Yeah, yeah. well, that's the plan. <laughs> yes, that's the plan. and hopefully, yeah, we're we're hoping to, um, you know, get her justice. Right, right. So now I understand that this was a 5-4 decision, and to me, you know, from everything I've read about the case, it seems like a pretty open and shut case. It almost seems like there was a glitch in the law that, you know, the Supreme Court made this ruling years ago, almost, you know, offhand on a matter that you said wasn't originally briefed and probably didn't understand how it was going to all play out. And it seems like it's a pretty common sense decision that, yes, people should be able to go to court and enforce their constitutional rights, just like they could if their First Amendment right were violated or or any other right. Um, But there were four justices who issued a strong dissent led by Justice Kagan, and what was their reasoning for opposing the decision? Well, they had two reasons, and one was they were concerned about the precedent that was being overturned, and they pointed out that... um, not only does this overturn Williamson County, that 34-year-old decision, but it also arguably overturns much older decisions um, that held that as long as government gave an easy way to collect your money. Um, so, in other words, they set up a – you didn't have to go to court to get paid in these cases, but uh, the, the dissent kind of alighted that, that point. You would just literally go collect your money for the – property that had been taken. But they said that this that this is inconsistent with those decisions too. And so really the court's overturning a lot of precedent and that troubled the dissent. But also they were worried that government officials would accidentally violate the our, people's property rights, that they would pass all these regulations as they often do and accidentally violate property rights before they would say, well, there's no violation until the property owner goes to court and sues and um, and then there's still no violation because the government pays when the court says you have to. But this is it's sort of a fiction because in all of these decisions for years, the court would say, yes, this violates your property rights. They took your stuff without paying you for it. The Constitution requires they pay you. And so, you know, it's just a disagreement in a sense about um, what's been going on. But the dissent was really just concerned. They don't want officials to be accidentally violating the Constitution. But there's, a, there's plenty of easy solutions for that. Like maybe be a little bit more careful about when you regulate away people's property rights right. or when you impose easements on people's lands. The burden for the well, individual when this happens is extreme, but for the government, it's really not a big deal. And also, I find it curious because it's not as if these government bureaucrats are being sued in their individual capacities, right? I mean, nobody's right. going after some town clerk 
and trying to take them for all they're worth because they issued a regulation that, you know, had a financial impact on someone's property. What they're really doing is trying to get the town or the state or whatever the government institution may be um, to make them whole for their taking, right? So they're not, the, the court's concern with, you know, these poor government bureaucrats and regulators might get hauled into court seems to me to be a little disingenuous because they're not really at risk of, you know, being sued personally. Yeah, no, they're not really at risk unless there's like a specific court decision on that exact specific thing that they're doing in that case. And that just doesn't really happen in land disputes. Right, right. Um, Interesting. And then, of course, their argument about precedent seems to me a little... Well, I know this is a big, you know, dispute on the court jurisprudentially overall, but it seems to me if a decision was wrong, a decision was wrong, right? And, you know, Dred Scott was wrong. We wouldn't let that stand today if it were to go before the Supreme Court. So, you know, I'm more interested in sort of what their view on the merits um, is, but, but as you say, it seems to be that they just were concerned with these government bureaucrats, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I agree. I mean, that was one of the arguments that was raised by the town during oral argument. And it, to me, it's, it, it just doesn't seem very compelling because, again, you have the government here that is ultimately, it's not a big deal for them if they lose. They just have to pay the person. Okay. Right. The entire regulations ordinarily not going to be overturned. Um, but, you know, for the uh, person whose land is being taken away without first paying for it, it's debilitating. And many people, um, you know, the stress and, and fear that goes along with that, you know, they're losing their property, they're, they're having, you know, there's a lot more cases that are more extreme than Rosemix, where it's, right. it's really a scary situation for the owner um, right. and financially crippling. And so for the government, it's not a big deal. For the bureaucrat, they're not, they're not going to lose their property if they lose, you know, ordinarily anyway. Maybe you can come up with some extreme situation where they're intentionally uh, persecuting an individual, but that's really a different case altogether, and that's not what the court was concerned about. Right. And so yeah, you said before that, you know, the reason the average person should care about this is that it means anyone who owns property, um, if the government does come in and, and – take their property in any way, shape, or form, they now have a right to seek redress in federal court. Could it be yeah. that, that the dissent was concerned that, it would, that this would open up the floodgates and, quote-unquote, make the proverbial federal case out of property disputes? Yeah, they did. They, they did express concern about that. Um, that Justice Kagan wrote she was concerned federal courts would be deciding state law matters. But, you know, federal courts actually will certify a question for a state court to answer all the time. This is not uncommon. Um, right. And they're also capable of answering a lot of these questions because there is state law on it. And just as state courts often weigh in on federal matters. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, your organization generally, because I know you work for the Pacific Legal Foundation, which represented... Rose Nick, and you do a a lot of work in this area and property rights. And I'm wondering if you could tell our audience just a little bit about your mission and the and maybe some other interesting cases you might be working on right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Pacific Legal Foundation is a nonprofit public interest organization. And what that means is we sue the government to set um, precedents that help people everywhere. And we have a few areas that we're really passionate about and that we have a long history with um, protecting rights. One of those is um, people's right to their property, that if government takes their property or regulates away the use of their property or uses the permitting process as an opportunity for extortion, um, that those that, that it violates people's rights and people should have a right to um, be paid when their stuff is taken and to not be subjected to extortionate demands and whatnot. Uh, we also do a number of other types of cases like free speech and um, we've got some separation of powers cases, but my very favorite type of case right now is um, a case that uh, I'm lead on and that I'm really excited about because I think we could get some uh, a big difference soon in Michigan and some uh, about a dozen other states. Uh, and that's um, in Michigan, I have a case pending before the Michigan Supreme Court where our client accidentally underpaid his property taxes by $8. And the local government took the property to collect the eight dollars, sold it, and kept all the money. Was this a, and, this a home that, or a, just yes. a piece of land, or what was what type of property was it? It was a rental home. So our client Yuri Raffelli, um had invested in two homes. This was his more valuable one, and um, you know he's an elderly gentleman was looking for a source of income, as as many people do. Um, Anyway, so the the government took it, and uh, he that is had no idea he owed eight dollars. Yeah, it's shocking. Nobody thinks it can happen in America, and it shouldn't happen in America. Um, in fact, people uh, at the founding of this country had better property rights, and you can go all the way back to England and to Magna Carta, and people had better rights when they owed uh, the king money than what Michigan is currently giving. And so um, what happened? I mean, this is if the guy shows up at the town hall and says, "Gee, I." Didn't realize I owed you eight bucks. Here it is. Don't they at that point say, "Okay, you know, thanks, thanks for the eight dollars," and 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 move on? I mean, what makes them seize the property? Well, because it's extremely profitable, and so uh, the law gives them authority to do this. And uh, of course, Raffelli didn't know he owed the money. His son in Raffelli's elderly. His son-in-law drove over to meet with the treasurer and um, actually waited around in the office all day, spoke to him. And, and his son-in-law tells me that what happened was he pleaded with him, please let us get this property back. Um, and he was essentially told to go pound sand, like you, you snooze, you lose, um, which is, I think, shocking. Um, and and what, I, what we've learned is this is actually happening to a lot of other people. And I was just in Detroit um, yesterday and the day before because we filed a lawsuit for another client who lost uh, their property um, where they were going to live for $144 debt, uh, property tax debt that they didn't know about. They paid the subsequent taxes. The Wayne County sold it for $108,000 and kept all the profits. And this is legal in Michigan, but it's unconstitutional. And, uh, and the Michigan Supreme Court's agreed to hear that $8 case. We're hoping to um, set a precedent that ends this practice. Um, but we, you know, there's, like I said, there's about a dozen other states that are doing something similar, a variation, although it, Michigan might be the worst. Um, and we, we'd want to end those, the practice in those states too. 
Yeah. Well, thank God for the United States Constitution, and thank God for lawyers like you who are out there helping people vindicate these rights. That's amazing. Really is. Yeah, um, it's a lot. It's it's a lot of fun because I think a lot of people don't appreciate um, how many rights people have had in history. And I think we often look back on the past and assume that things were always very bad because that's kind of the popular thing to do right now. But there were a lot of rights that have been lost and that we should bring those back. Like, it's good that we have more rights in some areas now, right? But we should bring back rights that have been lost in some places we should because these are obvious common sense rights when the gov- the government is being allowed to do something that private people could never get away with right and there's and the for good reason thing is, you know we have a written constitution right that that affords that protects our rights against the government but if people don't sue to enforce those rights the government can actually get away with quite a lot Right. I mean, the Constitution is a piece of paper. And and unless we have advocates, you know, to help us bring our claims, then then it's a meaningless piece of paper. So I think you're really doing fabulous work. Well, our clients deserve a lot of credit, too, because it, you know, it takes um, a lot of resilience to stand up for your rights. In some cases, people don't have a choice, but in many other cases, they do. And they fight anyway, even though it's hard. Um, And often they spend quite a lot of money before we even find out about their case and step in and are able to provide them with free legal representation. Um, but in any event, um, you know, I, you're absolutely right. If you don't uh, stand up for your rights, then they can, they can be lost. Right, right. Now, so where can people learn more about your work in the Pacific Legal Foundation? How can they, how can they read more? So PacificLegal.org, and we also have a Facebook page and a Twitter page, but you can read our blog at PacificLegal.org or read more about our mission statement and what it is that we do um, there. And um, we have a number of videos on our social media pages that people can watch about our cases and other work. That's awesome. Well, and as we begin to launch our Center for Law and Liberty, I hope that we have an opportunity to collaborate with you in the future. Um, I think it'll be it'll be a nice synergy there. Love that idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll keep in touch on that. But um, so that about does it for today. I hope that everybody learned something new from today's conversation and talking with Christina about um, her interest in property rights. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, we would love it if you would leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or share this episode on social media. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, you're in control. I think, you think, she thinks.